had no idea what I was doing. And uh, we were we were really, I think, just riding the wave of e-commerce, first wave of e-commerce. And then grew that up, did a phenomenal job of driving that into the ground, crashed it hard, and made and lost a lot of money and ended up really learning a lot. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm really stoked to welcome Eric Stockton today. Eric, I like to have my guests do their own intro. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because you can do it better. Oh, I don't know about <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, it's good seeing you again, man. Oh, How are very you? well. It's good to have you. We're going to... We're going to share some excellent expertise today. Yeah. So a little bit about me. Uh, I'll see if I can skip through most of the pain and suffering. But I, I started out as an entrepreneur. I think that's the best way to describe it. So out of my college dorm room, one of those stories where I founded a uh, technology company back before you know B2C was cool. This was in the late 90s and didn't, didn't raise a whole lot of funding, but what we did do is learn how to grow digital companies and grew that to somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 million. And uh, literally in my dorm room, you know, moved to an office, right? Did the whole thing, hired a bunch of people, had no idea what I was doing. And uh, we were, we were really, I think just riding the wave of e-commerce, first wave of e-commerce and then grew that up, did a phenomenal job of driving that into the ground, crashed it hard and made and lost a lot of money and ended up really learning a lot, you know, sort of about me and, you know, like, what did I want to do with my life and, and that sort of thing. And so that, that really sort of parlayed into what I did next, which was I ran a research team at Marketing Experiments, uh, MEC Labs, you know, for if you're a marketer, you typically like, you know, you see a lot of their content that's out there and uh, they had a, you know, had a big name there. Went through a couple of acquisitions in the publishing and educational space and content marketing. That's, you know, sort of where I got into a lot of the content marketing side of things. Moved into from there into really doing my own thing. So I ended up funding some companies and, and getting into, you know, looking at growing businesses that I felt like, you know, had the potential to grow as a consultant and, you know, had a small SWAT team of people that would go in sort of like parachute into businesses, publicly traded companies, you know, companies that had real funding, you know, and, you know, had budget, we would go in and we would help accelerate them you know, sort of called in by, you know, various, you know, PE firms and, you know, VCs, that sort of thing. And then uh, two and a half years ago, I joined a company as a W-2 for the first time in like 12 years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that company was called Sharpspring. And Sharpspring, you know, was a, it's a micro cap and 
it itself was, uh, at, well, I came in as the general manager for one of the business units at, at Sharp Spring, and then it ended up getting acquired itself. Uh, we closed on that acquisition October 1st, no, sorry, September 1st. So I am a whopping four months into my new gig, uh, which is a, a VP of demand generation for Constant Contact. Uh, most most folks know what Constant Contact is, and we've got uh, got some neat stuff coming up. Wow, quite a journey. I mean, yeah, wow. So and pain and suffering. <laughs> pain and suffering, right? Yeah, like well, you know, I, I I may know a thing or two about driving a business into the ground, but you know, <laughs> you do you do learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about teams and ca- turns out cash flow is a thing and marketing and demand, demand gen. I didn't even know what that was when I, when I started. So, yeah. And like, it's evolved so much, you know, since then. So I, I also got my sort of early start and the, you know, I almost quit my corporate job in like May 2000 to do my, my startup. And that was probably good timing not to do that. Uh, although subsequently got laid off anyway. So, <laughs> you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but. I think that's interesting. Like just the fact that you just said that was interesting to me. Like, you know, so many people feel like having a W-2 means that, that is job security. And it's only job security if you're driving customers and you're building a business and that business is healthy. Otherwise, it's just, you know, sort of a false sense of security. Uh, it's no more insecure than, you know, or than doing something else, you know, consulting or, or other things. I think it's sort of that that fear of doing it on your own, you know? Well, you realize like you work so hard, you might as well at least do it and try to take home the money from it. And, and yes, you assume the risk of that, but you only have yourself to blame. And that's, that's kind of cool. So, you know, and you said, what's interesting is looking at that. Even, I think even now how we define work is going to be so muddled and different because to say like, I'm a W2 employee or, I'm a contractor or I'm an entrepreneur, like we're actually just all a bunch of video heads sitting in our living room now, you know, and the manner by which we get paid is really this sort of functional tax equation. It doesn't mean anything anymore. So the idea that somehow being under one roof made you part of the family or not, and it didn't really have anything to do with your work. I think it's just all of that is being shot to hell, <laughs> you know, right now. And people say, well, I don't want to outsource that. And you go like, you're literally outsourcing every single job to somebody in their house now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. It's, it's a complete mind change, uh, sort of a shift, I think organizationally that we're all, you know, struggling with. I, it's funny you mentioned that because I was, you know, I'm working on, uh, or really just completed the budgeting process, you know, for, you know, sort of what year one is going to look like, uh, under the new, organization. And that is exactly what's been going through my mind is like, there's a, there is a change in how we think about people and how we organize resources and how we get things done. That is, you know, I think we're at the beginning of it. I mean, what's the difference, right? Like, it's just, we just have humans now and some disembodied, you know, block of money flows to them. And so basically there's an accounting distinction that really comes down to who's going to pay the tax when and there's literally nothing else that now distinguishes an employee from 
a consultant. <laughs> and it's just, it's odd to me that anybody wants to cling on to that. We're just, it's not going to happen. So what are you doing? So talk to me about demand gen. I mean, this is such a interesting phrase, right? Like what, what does that mean? And where do you, where do you live and how do you serve the organization? Yeah, no. Um, so it's interesting. I, when I was a general manager, uh, for the previous company, uh, I, or the business unit of the pre previous company, nobody knew what I did, <laughs> but functionally what I was doing was growth and demand generation. And so now we just call it that uh, in, my, in my new role. So I report directly to the CMO. And what I do is I look at growth opportunities, identifying who our audience is that we want to be in front of, create that audience, or well, really sort of speak to that audience and their specific pain points to drive leads right to the, uh, to the site to be able to, to, to capture them. And really, I think about demand generation probably somewhat differently than the traditional title. I think about it in terms of revenue. Uh, I like from up and, you know, awareness all the way through to a closed one deal. And, you know, we're a, we're a SaaS company. So we have a sales team that's involved, sales process that's involved. And I'm very intimately sort of involved with the sales team. I literally just got out of a, you know, a BDR meeting where we were talking about handoff process. So I'm, I'm like, I've got my fingers in a little bit of everything. I think partially because that's the way I'm wired, but also because I think it's what's required. And, you know, if we're going to be, you know, really good at driving the kind of customers to the website, you sort of have to see what's happening all the way through and um, and think about it holistically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you and I have talked about this on, on your podcast, I think, but, you know, the the idea of revenue marketing or full funnel revenue, you know, sort of disposition, uh, why why ever had we thought about disconnecting marketing and sales in that traditional sense that uh, there's no other purpose for this entity to exist except to to generate revenue that makes everything else happen? And, and, I, and I'm not one of these people that goes, well, you know, we're only money hungry, you know, sort of mechs that just try to steal money from people. But you can't do any of the other things unless you have some kind of money in the bank. And uh, we really benefit from being aligned holistically on revenue. Yeah, I think I think you have to. And the reason why we have things like marketing and sales funnels, and we talk about marketing and sales funnels, and why we talk about sales and marketing as individual separate departments, like all of that really stems from, in my opinion, anyway, thinking about the organization in the wrong way. And, you know, specifically, sales and marketing serves us as an organization, not the customer. And so what, what you end up having is a situation that, you know, you create these internal friction points uh, unintentionally, un I might add, right? No, nobody goes into- Let's go make this awful. <laughs> the planning yeah. process and says, hey, yeah, let's make this really difficult. And, uh, you know, let's, let's get sales and marketing to butt heads all day long. <laughs> no, it's, it's really more like, hey, how do we, make this thing scale. And this makes sense. Like salespeople think this way and marketing people think this way, and we're going to put different leaders in place. And, you know, all that's serving the wrong sort of goal. And the goal should be revenue and marketing should be thinking like, 
how are we going to create sales pipeline? How are we going to drive revenue? How are we going to increase like close one deals, you know, deal rate, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, and, you know, so often when I talk to other marketers, uh, I sort of have the sort of the, the opportunity to do that a lot with what I do every day. I get to talk to the marketers. I get to talk to digital marketing agencies. And that is one of the biggest sort of challenges still to this day is sales and marketing alignment. So it's not going away anytime soon, but I think there is a better way. Well, look at that. Just the fact that we make agencies that segment off marketing, which is like, you can't get more far apart than, you know, that type of idea. Have you ever seen somebody said, like, I run a digital revenue agency? You know, it, it's just not aligned that way. Like we broke the vocabulary and, and there's good reasons, like organizationally. So I, you know, I, I did a lot of work around organizational design and, you know, the things you might see in, you know, MBA programs. And there are reasons that you would want to centralize control of a brand of messaging. Like these are things that you want to control functionally. You can't have everybody do something different. And by nature of doing that, you have a department structure. It's like marketing owns brand. And that makes a lot of sense. And marketing needs to think about how to talk to everyone at the same time, which means by nature, we're talking about average sort of personas, right? Like that's where personas came from. Let's make a picture of our average, you know, ideal customer. That pisses salespeople off because that average customer, in fact, never shows up on the call. And each of them is a component of the average and more often than not resides in the outlier. <laughs> so it's like, like, here's a person with lots of money. They want our thing. None of our stuff applies to them. I'm going to have to go off rate card. I'm going to have to go off message because I want the deal because guess what? I'm the only one incentivized to get the deal. <laughs> and, and when you look at that, like it makes sense how we broke it. These are, these are classic challenges that it's really sales fights with everybody because sales is customer one-to-one -one aligned yep. yep and everything well, else needs to be designed not that way so yeah i, I was gonna say like I, i'm gonna piggyback off that i said i would argue that if sales isn't getting those kinds of conversations marketing is doing a poor job on the targeting and developing the ICP and driving, you know, the types of people to request a demo that that are the types of customers that we want to close and, and create revenue from. And that's more often than not actually what I see is the core problem. It's, you know, I, I told somebody the other day on my own, like, so I, like, again, I've been in this job for like 90 days, right? So one of the first things I did when I came in is I was like, look, I'm going to be the best sales friendly marketer you will ever meet because that's sort of how I think, right? I just, I think about it from a, from a perspective of revenue. And, you know, when I think about the type of agencies or, you know, you know, other marketers that come to me and, and ask, you know, questions or whatever, cause we do an AMA style uh, podcast, they, they ask questions like, well, how do I get my sales team to uh, give me more sort of credibility, you know, and how do I get to, you know, a bigger seat at the table and how do I have a, how do I, or how am I able to participate in those kinds of strategic discussions with the exec team? And more often than not, when you really sort of dig in a couple of layers, a lot of the reason why is because they don't know how to talk exec 
they don't know how to talk CFO. They don't know how to talk sales, right? They don't, they're, they're thinking in terms of campaigns. They're thinking in terms of, you know, how do I create, you know, the, whatever the branding is, they don't know how to connect to the business outcome that anybody, you know, at the executive team level is going to care about. And by that very nature of that, you lose credibility, you know, very quickly. And so you have to, you have to draw that connection. You have to build that and you have to start talking the language of the, you know, of the table. Yeah. I mean, we walk into organizations on a consulting basis and, you know, just read, here's the 56 page deck with nine point font that marketing produced on how we're supposed to sell this new offering. And you kind of go like, this is impossible. Like, so whose job is it to convert that into like remotely useful sales language? And you could see why salespeople just check out and be like, oh, marketing did another thing because this isn't how we talk. This isn't how it's it's relevant. And uh, we often have to just go, like, all right, what what is this really about? And uh, I'll tell you what, in B2B sales, like I, I'm convinced there's only two things in the world that any solution or product can do. It can either make you more money or it can help you cut costs and which in turn is about more profit. And I argue that for at least from this B2B sales seat, it's like 90% easier to sell something that makes someone more revenue than it is to sell something that cuts time, cost, expense, et cetera. And yes, it'll make you more profitable, but everybody says that. <laughs> so my, my plea to the marketers of the universe is let's make it about everybody else making money. And that's really simplistic, but I swear to you, 10,000 sales calls later, it's something well, like that. You know, the, the thing that I've learned over the years is sales and customer success are where the best marketing ideas come from. And, and the, the best way to dial in your ICP is just to have those kinds of conversations and then going out into the market and talking to the customer, right? And it's funny to me how few marketers actually talk to people in the market. And so what ends up happening is there's a siloed effect of like, we think this is what the targeting needs to be. This is, you know, they or they've been handed sort of a mandate that says, these are the customers that we wanna go after. And it's not necessarily aligned, right? So what ends up happening is exactly what you described. You know, you've got, salespeople who look at a sales deck that they are supposed to pitch to a customer and they're literally rolling their eyes and saying, there's no way that I can go and sell this. And they're right because they're talking to the market every single day. They're talking, they're getting the objective or the objections, they're handling those. And they are the best intelligence that you can get, you know, to be able to create the right kinds of campaigns that drive, you know, the people that, uh, the, that you want to the site to request a demo. It's true. And I also know why it's hard to, because, you know, just getting like, how do you take that intelligence out of those, those brains, you know? So we've been experimenting with like, you, you record every call and then you have an analyst go through it and you kind of say, what questions did the prospect ask? What objections were there? classify, you know, sort of almost apply a taxonomy to that. We've been experimenting for a couple of years around this stuff. 
at Ad10, and it's coming together, but it's very cumbersome. And it reminds me a lot of, uh, I'm kind of a critic now of like the way Lean Startup has been uh, co-opted and and uh, kind of screwed up in the startup lore. But what Lean Startup had right was customer discovery, except they just missed the fact that those are actually just sales calls. And you've got to do customer discovery interviews and that's how you validate stuff. And that's an ongoing process. You don't just do it at the beginning and then launch and then forget about it. Uh, that's where sales and marketing can, can work together. And uh, my biggest beef is orgs that don't record every single call and then do something with it. I mean, that's, those are your, your lectures. Like this is where you're literally going to get the information from the market uh, but it is a cumbersome challenge to to process all the inputs. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think if it's really a priority for you, you make the time to go and do it. And nobody's got time. Nobody's got time. And so when you go in and you look and you have conversations and you start doing interviews, that's not something that is going to show up. Nobody's going to give you kudos for that, right? In fact, anybody else is going to look at it like you're taking a step backwards. But the value that you get from that is so far more, you know, the, the outcome that you get from that is, is so far more than what you would normally sort of think. And because it affects everything else that you do, right. It affects relationships that you have inside the organization. Like they start, you know, there's a credibility factor because you are able to uh, articulate pain points that the customer has. The sales team knows that marketing knows what those pain points are, and you're able to talk those through, right? You're able, those things show up in your messaging and in, in the marketing campaigns that you're running. Uh, it shows up in like how your, you know, your deal rates are, are, are increasing. It, your pipeline is, you know, speeding up, right? I mean, all of that kind of stuff is the fruit, right? Of the, of the upfront effort. Uh, because you're able to sort of get your head in, in, in the right mind frame when you're developing all of this stuff. So I would argue that there are orders of magnitude worth of benefit by doing the work up front and the leverage that you get from that is huge. And, but it's funny, like just, there's not that many people that actually go and do it because to your point, it's, it sucks. Like, you know, you're trying to build out a 90 day plan and, you know, you got all these things you got to put together and budgeting and everything else. It's just, it's a lot of work, but you know, I would, I would sort of encourage anybody who's in marketing, like, even if you've been doing it for three years, go and talk to the customer. I guarantee you, like, there's going to be stuff that you're learning that you don't know today. Yeah. And sort your, um, you don't have to talk to everybody. You know, I always think of like, take the customer cohort and sort it by like red, yellow, and green. And green is the people you wish you could just clone and have more of. And go talk to them and just like, why do you use us? Like, why have you not quit? And, and it, it's interesting because we've extended that even into when we talk about internal conversations, like recruiting is a big deal and retention now. It's like, and I kind of do that now with people. I said, why the hell do you work here? Or like, and you, you say nice things about working here. And so when we're trying to recruit more people like you, cause we think you're a star, like why, like what's the actual messaging to that? And that's the same disposition, which I think has been interesting. And, and I've heard people say that now, like recruiting and marketing are just like crashing together for the first time because there aren't just free workers all over the place to snap up. So. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I think there's, 
something to me too, where when you, when you spend time and you talk to, if you talk to them, there's, there's a, um, assimilation, like osmosis thing that happens, you know, when you're talking to those types of customers, but the, actually the benefit I get is actually talking to customer or to prospects that never became customers and they were closed lost. So I would go and I would talk to closed lost opportunities and just spend time with them and find out like, why is it that you did not adopt the product or you didn't pick up the service or whatever. And you get so much value out of just people that never became customers because it tightens up your messaging, right? It tightens up and, and, and also just informs product, right? I mean, there's a huge benefit of just product, you know, feedback loop that marketing should have a say in that, you know, a lot of times you never know until you just talk to the people that went with somebody else. Yeah. How do you get those calls? You know, like a lot of times I know like it's a standard part of our outreach to if we lose a deal, because like, will you give us any information, two sentences about why you didn't choose us? And I'd say maybe 20, 20 percent, you know, do us a solid. You know, it's it's interesting how you can go back and get people to actually talk to you. Do you like send a virtual lunch or something? Or? No, I invite them on the podcast. <laughs> Podcasting is a good place to do that. Yeah, I do. I mean, I invite them on the podcast because they're always going to be in my ICP if they've already made it to, you know, that sales pipeline stage. And I put them on the podcast and I ask them the questions that I wanted to ask anyway. And, you know, what that does is gives me the sort of the vehicle to do it. Yeah, I hope everybody's listening to that because that's that's huge. Podcasting is the greatest way to get conversations with people that otherwise wouldn't talk to you. Everybody loves free PR and an opportunity to. Yeah. You never would have come on my podcast if, if, uh, if we didn't have one. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, right. Well, how would we, we didn't didn't know each other, right. We didn't know each other. Yeah. Like somebody, somebody reached out and, uh, on behalf of one of me, I guess, I don't even know. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing now. I think we, we don't have vectors anymore where, well, first of all, I don't even know where you are, which is cool. Like there's no geographic bounds now. And, you know, like nobody could reach out in the way we used to and be like, oh, hey, you guys should hang out and get coffee. And I can remember in the, you know, the, I don't know, 10 years ago, sort of spending an inordinate amount of time in coffee shops, like thinking I was working by, you know, networking. And I'm not sure what I actually, how I made any money in those years, but this is the new coffee shop. <laughs> I think it's it's boundless and you get to talk to people in such compelling ways. And uh, I always get asked like, well, you know, like we want to develop thought leadership or whatever it is. And it's like, what's thought leadership except that people who are really smart uh, want to show up and talk to you and take your questions, right? Like you're just the aggregator. Just nobody cares about your actual thoughts. They care about the questions that you ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, I, the most valuable thing that we probably do is our. Uh, it's a just an AMA style uh, interaction that we have with prospects and customers, where they just literally will just come on and they'll ask whatever they want to know about sales or marketing. And we just answer the questions. We don't do anything more than that. We just answer the questions and the relationships that you get from being able to provide real value without asking anything in return, you know, is, is really, you know, is really, I mean, if, if, if you think about it at, at its sort of core, it is the thing that you have in relationships in your personal life, right? So what you do, you don't go in and, and say, Hey, 
you know, let's, uh, you know, let's go get like, I don't I'm going to call it your dating life, right? You go, you don't say, let's go get married on the first date. Most people don't. What you do is you develop a series of trust, right? You, you, you have conversations, you go through some, most likely some tough times as well as some, some good times, right? All of those things build on each other to ultimately create some level of trust that allows you to be able to, you know, create a, a sort of a safe space or an environment that, you know, allows that, that, that to sort of naturally occur. The problem is with both marketing and sales in our professional life, we don't take it that way. We want to just push right to the marriage proposal and, you know, everybody uses that analogy, but I think it's probably works because it's true, you know, so you end up, you know, trying to accelerate that, you know, to the point where it's uncomfortable. And then when it's uncomfortable, people start, you know, start backing away and they're, and, you know, if, you know, if they're standing at the bar, they're definitely backing away, right? You know, when you're kind of reaching out too close. And so that's, that's what's happening. And I think, you know, you, you sort of just need to have that. that I think that the challenge, the reason why people do that, sales and marketing, by the way, is because the audience isn't big enough. You don't have the time because your pipeline is so small. You're always going to be behind. You're always going to have that urgency. You're always going to feel that pressure, right, to, to go too far too quick. And But if marketing is doing its job, the audience that you're talking to is much larger. And those opportunities as they come through, and if you're structured properly, right, those opportunities as they come through are more organic and they have the intent that's needed, et cetera, et cetera. And it's only when that audience is not big enough and that demand is not large enough, the pool that you're fishing in or the, the pond that you're fishing in is not big enough that you end up having that kind of pressure on sales. Yeah, oh, I love that. It's our job to, it's not like you want to get on a call and say, I don't care. You just sort of out on a call that there's no urgency on me to force this prospect to do something. I have enough calls on my calendar where the natural order of things will play out and 20, 25% of them will ultimately become customers on a regular flowing cadence. And you're right. It's just all about having enough volume in the pipeline. And if there's a day I don't have something to do, great. I go back and send a text. I send an email. I log some activities. And that's the hard part of sales is when you are forced to feel urgency about every lead. And it's freaking exhausting. And it, and it really takes away from the performance factor of, of being able to do a good call even. Uh, nobody likes being sold hard to and yeah, I certainly I, have I, that preference for consultative relationship. So totally agree with that. I think that that is absolutely right. I mean, there's just a, there's a natural sort of conversation that has to happen and it's more legit. Like I did a LinkedIn post on this not too long ago where I said like sales engineers are actually some of the most unsung heroes of, you know, of calls because I was on a, I mean, it was an enterprise deal. I was on as a customer and I was, and I was just the experience that I had. It was not the sales AE that, in fact, it was probably the opposite. The sales AE was extremely pushy and everything else. And it was sort of a turn off, but that, but that, you know, the sales engineer was on there. They didn't have the agenda. They weren't, obviously their comp isn't tied this quite the same way. And, you know, so they, they had a different mentality altogether about 
what are the things that the business problems that you are trying to solve and then how is our product line up to that and then provide that level of expertise that I needed to be able to feel comfortable. And she's what sold the deal. I totally agree. I just often, I'm just like, listen, you know, a love you, understand your job. Can you just let me talk to this guy <laughs> or gal, you know, or it's like, seriously, this is how I want to hook this thing up. And does it work or not? And if you've ever had a customer with this scenario, cause I think you haven't, but can you do that for me? And I'm just like, you don't want to be the salesperson that someone feels like they want to turn off. <laughs> like, just get out of this call. I want to talk to this person who actually knows things. I try not to do that. But, you know, yeah, I so get it. Like, it's just sort of like, ultimately, people want solutions. You know, they don't want features. They don't want, like, you know, the sort of playbook crap. And I got to think selling to sales and marketing people is probably awful because we know all the tricks too. So, <laughs> yeah, I, everybody's got their BS antenna up, right? I mean, and so I think I think that's absolutely true. You know, because that's what I do. I sell to marketers, and there's nobody that has is more attuned to that than I think than my by Oh ICP my gosh, you guys are bloodhounds of authenticity, and yeah, same thing for you know, just like seriously, like please stop lying to me. Like, I just know your business can't do that. You're not that big. Like, let's just be honest about like, it, I probably would make a deal with you person X if we can just come to the understanding that like you and I both know, and I can smell it that you don't think your thing is worth that much money. Right. <laughs> so. And, and you know, you, you layer in things like desperation, urgency, all of those kinds of things that the, like, what are the next steps, et cetera. And you know, what can I get, what can I do to get you in this car, you know, kind of mentality. And I, and I just, I feel like the best AEs are the ones that really understand that and are more consultative in nature. Right. So I, in, in this past role, not this one, but in my past role, that's what I did. I ran, uh, sales as well and, and, and marketing. And so like in that role, when I trained them up, we stood it up from zero and we had sort of a strict policy. And I was like, just the, the don't be smarmy policy for lack of a better word, right? It's just don't be that come in, come alongside them, figure out what it is they're really looking for, craft a story around that, that solves that pain point because it's not features. Right. It's not, I mean, they'll, they'll get to that. They'll get to that, but it's really the story that you're telling them that solves the pain point. Right. So what's the narrative look like? How do you craft the narrative and then get them to a point where they're bought in and then you go into, you know, all of the other, the other pieces of it, but we skip past that. We go right to the, you know, are you, you know, let's get married. Stage. Yeah. And even if you don't like have timeliness nailed, like if you ever think about this again, I want you to think about our company. And here's why I think this would be amazing for you. It looks just like some other clients that we have. But if it's not the right time, no sweat. I don't want to bug you. When when can we do the next thing? You know, I'm not going to be that guy that checks in every month. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to annoy you. I just want to be attentive. And if it's not a good fit, I think you get a lot of credibility if you're just sort of like, this is the wrong thing for you. <laughs> like, you can't afford this. Doing this would be bad for your business you know, seriously, like call our friend instead. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think that obviously, I mean, I know, I know you will, will tell this to people. It's the pressure is what makes that not possible. Like anybody who's listening to this, I would imagine 
is saying, yeah, that's, that's great guys. Like I'm totally fine with that. That's probably the right way to do it, but I'm 50% of quota this month. And you know, they're saying like the desperation and the human nature takes over. I would argue that you're probably not, it's probably not a sales problem that you have in your organization. I would argue that it's a marketing problem that you have in your organization. And you know, I, I have I have a lot of empathy, I think, for sales folks just because that's the battle that they fight every single day is like you're behind quota, it's your fault, right? It's not demand, it's not the pipeline, it's not, you know, the weak, you know, types of MQLs that you've been you've been handed, right? There's a problem there. But I think this is just my opinion, but I think you have like in your own CRM. Uh, whatever CRM you use, uh, for us, obviously we use SharpSpring, but you know, in your CRM as a sales leader, you should be able to look and see all the way through the pipeline what the original source was and what was causing and creating the kinds of closed one deals that you want. The ones that close faster in month, right? The ones that actually close at higher win rates of, you know, I don't know if you're B2B, let's say 20, 25% plus, right? And if you're not doing that, then you are sort of arguing and you are perceived as like the complainer instead of actually having a legitimate case, but you don't know how to articulate it. The data is what gives you the ability to go and articulate it. You know, and I've been sort of on the soapbox for a while now, you can kind of tell, I guess, but attribution. I've been on the soapbox for a while. Well, yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, it, it is attribution. I, I think it's, and I the path, it, you know, like the, the path of attribution, not just like one thing, like, oh, look, Twitter wins. Like, it's not that it's what things in what order seem to have some kind of meaningful impact. And it might just be like 10 touch points across a series of four channels. So I, I do this with companies all the time. I will go into those companies and, you know, or agencies and I'll look at them and I'll be like, look, you're like, you already know, like you already have all the tools, right? Well, not every company, I would say 80% of the companies I look at have all the tools in place to determine whether or not they are going to hit their quota or not. But the sales team and sales leaders don't know how to, they don't know how to do it. Like the data is there. They just don't know how to do it. But any good salesperson anecdotally knows that like which ones of those opportunities that are created are the best opportunities. And I sort of joke about this um, where, you know, you know, that you're sort of on the right path as a marketer when the sales team, you know, somebody who's smart, who's, who's got a high EQ, you know, he's been around for a while, like that kind of sales rep, when he calls you up and he's like, Hey, let's go get some coffee or, Hey, let's go do this. Because he's asking you like, that's when you know, like you've sort of hit it. Right. Because they're wanting to know how do you get more of those and how can you feed them to me? Right. <laughs> and so that, I mean, that's, you know, that's when you kind of have that leading indicator as a marketer that you're onto something is like when the right. good AEs are calling you up and saying, how'd you do that? Like partner, what, what, partner me you know, with that marketer. Absolutely. They, they actually absolutely. know what's up. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, unquestionably, those are the people that I would yeah. try to build the side network. Yeah. To. You're absolutely right. We yeah. are, we are yeah. sneaky bastards in the sales. Yeah. <laughs> we will try uh, to. <laughs> totally. Uh, dude, like if I was a sales guy and I was on quota, that's a totally what I would do. I would just take it one step further and argue that you actually know already what those things are. You just don't know how to look them up. 
you don't know how to do the attribution. You don't know how to do the sourcing. That's not what you're ever, that's not your thing, right? And that's Most where RevOps is starting to be yeah. you know, really hot. It's like, look, look, now we have all these amazing data pipes, but none of them are connected and they all run down, you know, down the toilet instead of like into some meaningful report. And it really is hard to tie together all that stuff if you don't know how. I mean, these are operational technical issues. That's right. I mean, I, I think that's that's one of the reasons why I took this job, to be honest with you, was because that single problem is is the problem, right? Sales and marketing misalignment is the problem in most orgs. And the amount of entropy that happens in the org because of, you know, this this sort of misalignment is massive. And, you know, you, you talk about like being able to solve this, you know, you, you solve a trillion dollar problem across these orgs. And one of the things that I, I kind of look at with, you know, with what we do at Sharpspring is just the fact that if, if you don't have a unified database that pulls all of that data together under one roof and, it, and is able to dissect it and then create sort of that full funnel holistic view of what's happening from first ad impression, first touch, all of that kind of stuff, all the way through to you know, the actual source where you collected a lead and then run it all the way through the sales pipeline. You don't have that holistic view like that. You know, you don't know how to repeat it. You don't know how to double down on it. You don't know how to cut out the stuff that's not working and reallocate that budget. You're just a much more inefficient organization. And I, you know, I talk to people a lot where they're stuck with sort of like a lot of marketers, they're stuck with these different individual tools, right? So things like, you know, they're running, you know, an email solution, they're running a chat bot, they're running, you know, whatever. And they sort of like patchwork or slap those things together with like an automation, like a Zapier or something else to make them all sort of work together. But fundamentally, those tools are not built <laughs> to share, right? They're not built to play well together. And what you end up with is, you know, sort of a scenario where you, you aren't able to make quick decisions and see holistically what's sort of what's contributing to pipeline and driving revenue. Yeah, 16, 20 different open APIs that all call one thing something different and everybody's standard is better than everybody else's standard. And then throwing that into some kind of mess that turns out maybe a spreadsheet if you're lucky that has a pivot table it's just it's impossible like it's an amazing amount of time of course you know look i i get the whole point solution best of breed like be good at one thing uh, but this is what erps were trying to solve you know like ultimately you kind of go like i just need the 80 percent solution that actually comes from the same ecosystem yeah, I think five years ago, that was absolutely the only thing you had available to you. I don't fault marketers for having that. I think it's just, you need to look at it as tech debt. And, you know, you've been carrying that along with you for the last five years, trying to patchwork it together. And you sort of, you hire, you know, marketing ops and rev ops. And there's entire departments that are needed specifically because of this problem, right? And, and you know, individual heads that are, pulling these different spreadsheets together, trying to normalize the data, you know, and put it into something that's useful that a marketer can use to make decisions, right? And and then sales is over there wondering, like, why can't we do more of this? Because marketing doesn't know a lot of the time, right? They, they're, they're make, there's a lot of 
intuitive nature of what has to happen in marketing in order to kind of recreate that behavior. And it's also like not real time, right? I mean, it's like you're, you're creating all of this stuff and if you get it weekly, you're, you know, you're in good shape, right? <laughs> but what would happen if you could actually take those connections and, and make campaign decisions almost in real time Right, because it's all sort of flowing in through a. Uh, yeah, and you got to imagine your salespeople in the proverbial sort of boiler room. Like, even if I have a great prospect and a great call, and call number, like this is the one. Copy this. Who do you tell? Because I'm about to be on the next six calls in a row, and that all gets lost. You know, there's no be like copy this button, and then it alerts to the whole, you know, marketing internal metaverse. Right, <laughs> not like that's what you need is this idea of saying, I don't know what y'all did for that one, but I want more of that. And somebody go pull that apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think you're, I think you're onto something because that's the entire reason why they have sales and marketing alignment meetings once a week or whatever, right? Pipe, we call it pipe demand, you know, alignment. And that is exactly the whole point of that is because there's no feedback loop. Right. And that feedback loop that sales has doesn't make its way back to marketing and everything gets lost. Again, it's entropy, you know, and, and so what ends up happening is that that kind of I mean, the outcome, of course, is lost revenue, lost, you know, opportunity cost. Right. But, you know, there are ways to be able to solve that. It's, you know, and, and you know, it sort of makes the makes the use case for most of the companies that are in B2B today. Yeah. Well, all we need to do is solve the second law of thermodynamics of marketing sales. And Except we're good. I'm told, and since that is my next you're now in you're in the job for that. That so, is my next like, LinkedIn post. I'm telling you now. Yeah. It is exactly what I'm gonna title it. So I, I will appreciate being tagged right I, into that. And we'll you. we'll just have a a spirited dialogue. That's right. For solving <laughs> solving entropy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Cool. Well, always enjoyable. I love it. If anybody wants to contact you, how do they do that? Yeah, you can just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, just uh, it's under LinkedIn and Eric Stockton. And uh, I obviously my title here is VP of Demand at uh, Constant Contact. And uh, you can always reach out to me that way. That's probably the easiest. Fantastic. Eric, always enjoy it, man. Thanks so much for coming out. All right. No problem. Thanks, Ledge. Take care. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.